Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Kent. We gather as a diverse and inclusive spiritual community that seeks to inspire love, work for justice, and grow in community. Whoever you are, we welcome you. Wherever you come from, we welcome you. Whomever you love, we welcome you. May this be a place where you can be your fullest and most authentic self. Please join us next Sunday as we honor Ted and Swanee Vanita for, with a social justice award that is also named after them in recognition of their many years of leadership and service in social justice work. Yay is right. Yay, absolutely. As Unitarian Universalists, we light a flame within a chalice. It's a symbol of sanctuary and safety, unites us in this time together. It's a sign of life's beauty and wonder, and it reminds us of our ongoing search for the light of truth within us and among us. Benny, would you light the chalice for us? Would you join me now in the chalice lighting words which have been adapted from Leslie Takahashi? You'll find them in your order of service. All that we have ever loved and all that we have ever been stands with us on the brink of all that we aspire to create, a greater peace, a larger love, a more embracing hope, a deeper joy in this life we share. May this light show us the way. recent file folder for our Outer Banks vacation. It joins other such folders dating back to 1981. The planning is fun and necessary, but it can also be overwhelming. The process can easily devolve into minutiae and oppressive expectations. And if you are a detailed person, such as I, then you have most certainly met God or the devil for better or worse. Our most recent trip, scheduled to begin just three weeks ago, got off to a good start, or so it seemed. However, uh-oh, what's this? This wasn't in my plan. Hurricane Dorian. This storm turned our vacation from two weeks of rest and relaxation into a mere 48-hour stay on the Outer Banks and lots of extra driving. 
evacuate the rented house, repack the van, deal with frustration. Well, as it turned out, this vacation presented many unplanned and unexpected opportunities and adventures. We explored some historical areas that we had always wanted to visit, stayed with family who were delighted, or so it seemed, to have us for an overnight stay, came home, did some laundry, repacked the van, and headed back out to meet more family on a beach in South Carolina. We surprised ourselves and our family members with our spontaneity. So what did we learn from this? Well, no amount of careful planning and great expectations can change the course of a hurricane. My family and I had long established expectations about our vacations. However, Hurricane Dorian caused us to face frustration and disappointment, decidedly of the first world variety. Nonetheless, we challenged ourselves to be more mindful and intentional, recognizing our opportunities while living in the moment. Don't misunderstand me. I still believe that planning and the resulting expectations is important and, for me, kind of fun. But the challenge for me and for many of us is to find balance. The balance between oppressive expectations and being present to those unexpected gifts that occur when expectations are lost or blown away by a hurricane. Come, let us worship together. So this is a story about a wonderful young lady, and this is called Amazing Grace, and her name is obviously Grace. So, Grace was a girl who loved stories. She didn't mind if they were read to her or told to her or made up in her own head. She didn't care if they were books or movies or out of Nana's long memory. Grace loved stories. And after she had heard them and sometimes while they were still going on, Grace would act them out. Have you ever done that with a story? Acted it out? Yeah? And of course, she gave herself the most exciting part. You do too, right? Grace went into battle as Joan of Arc and wove a wicked web as Anansi, the spider. She hid inside the wooden horse at the gates of Troy. She went exploring for lost kingdoms. She sailed the seven seas with a peg leg and a parrot. And you know, just last week was talk like a pirate day. And you say, arr. <laughs> she was Aladdin rubbing the magic lamp to make a genie appear. And Mowgli in the backyard jungle. Most of all, Grace loved to act out adventure stories and fairy tales when there was no one else around. Grace took all the parts herself. She set out to seek her fortune with no companion but her trusty cat and found a city with streets paved in gold. Sometimes she could get Ma and Nana to join in when they weren't too busy. Then she was Dr. Grace and their lives were in her hands. One day, Grace's teacher said they would do the play Peter Pan. Grace knew who she wanted to be. Who do you think she wants to be? Yeah. Bingo. <laughs> Bingo. 
She raised her hand, and Raj said, you can't be Peter, that's a boy's name. Grace kept her hand up. Natalie whispered, you can't be Peter Pan, he isn't black. But Grace kept her hand up. All right, said the teacher, lots of you want to be Peter Pan, so we'll have auditions next week to choose parts. The teacher gave them words to learn. When Grace got home, she was sad. Her mom asked what the matter was, and she said, Raj said I couldn't be Peter Pan because I'm a girl. And Ma said, that's just what Raj knows. A girl can be Peter Pan if she wants to. Grace cheered up, then later she remembered something else. Natalie said, I can't be Peter Pan because I'm black. Ma was angry. But before she could speak, Nana said, it seems Natalie is another one who don't know nothing. You could be anything you want, Grace, if you just put your mind to it. So one Saturday, Nana told Grace they were going out. They caught a bus and a train into town. And Nana took Grace to a grand theater. The sign outside read, Rosalie Wilkins in Romeo and Juliet in big lights. Are we going to the ballet, Nana? Asked Grace. We are, honey, but first look at this picture. Grace looked up and saw a beautiful young ballerina in a tutu above the dancer. It said, stunning new Juliet. See the, see the poster? Yeah, cool, huh? Who didn't see? Right there. That one is little Rosalie from back home in Trinidad, said Nana. Her granny and me, we grew up together. She's always asking me, do I want tickets to see her Rosalie dance? So this time I said yes. After the ballet, Grace played the part of Juliet, dancing around her room in her imaginary tutu. I can be anything I want, she thought. Monday, it was time for auditions to choose parts. When it was Grace's turn to be Peter, she knew exactly what to do and all the words today to say she had been Peter Pan all weekend. She took a deep breath and imagined herself flying. When it was time to vote, the class chose Raj to be Captain Hook. Can we do an R? Thank you. <laughs> and there was no doubt who would be Peter Pan. So who did everyone vote for? Grace, yep. Natalie said, you were fantastic. The play was a big success, and Grace was an absolutely amazing Peter Pan. <laughs> After it was all over, she said, I feel as if I could fly all the way home. You probably could, said Ma. Yes, Nana said, if Grace puts her mind to it, she can do anything she wants to. And if you put your minds to it, you can do anything you want to, too. For our meditation time this morning, we have our communion bowl and a container of small stones. As we sit together with soft music, I invite you to come up as you wish in silence. Everyone is welcome to participate. If you have a sorrow or worry, a prayer for yourself or someone else, if you are thinking about a gift you have to share with the world, place a stone in the bowl. If there's something or someone you're thankful for, if there's a joy you have or a gift you've received this week, or as a reminder of the hopes and dreams you have for yourself, take a stone with you. The first reading is an excerpt from Measuring Up by Reverend Luke Stevens Royer. There is an expectation of perfection for ourselves and others 
what a colleague of mine calls the oppression of success. We must put on a perfect portrayal that we have it all together, we are grounded and balanced and thoughtful and reflected and focused and successful. Our social media profiles likely tell a rosy story of our lives and at the same time, if you are on Facebook, you know they ask you to become someone else. What superhero or theologian or philosopher or artist or musician or whatever are you? Take the quiz to figure out who you could be. Oh good, it says I'm the Buddha. What do, we, what do we expect of ourselves? Do we measure up to our own demands? And how about the rest of the world? What does our society expect of us? Do we measure up to its demands? We are quick to judge others, perhaps we are, because we are just as quick, and although quietly, constantly judging ourselves. We expect of ourselves perfection, to be compassionate, to be financially stable, to be successful. The world judges us on our race, gender, sexual orientation, economics, age, and ability. If beloved community is a place where we are loved and accepted and affirmed for who we are, faults and all, then the door to that community seems so narrow by our own and our culture's standards. But ours is a faith among many that strives to lift up the gate and fling wide the doors in welcome, to proclaim a message of wholeness and holiness, of unconditional love, of radical hospitality, affirmation, and hope. There is no imperfection that bars us from beloved community. The poet Ruth Calder Murphy reminds us, don't measure me with scales and tapes, I'm not a prize pumpkin that should be reckoned so. Don't measure me by height or weight, discard or accept me, judge me or pity me, love me or despise me. Put them away, your plumb lines and your calipers, your gauges and thermometers, scales and tintometers. Now in the silence and the dark, feel the beating of your heart and spirit running through. These things alone are true, and they should be the only measurement of you and me. In the first reading, you heard Reverend Luke Stevens Royer talk about Facebook quizzes and ask, what superhero or theologian or philosopher or artist or musician or whatever are you? Just for fun, I took the superhero quiz and I'm 70% Superman. I also scored very high for Wonder Woman. In spite of answering no to the question, genuine question, about whether I ever wear a push-up bra. I do look great in a cape, but I don't live up to Superman's qualities of goodness, kindness, and strength, though. I don't measure up to society's expectations either. An author named Sofo Archon says that there are five things, he calls them five stupid things, society expects of you. We'll turn that into a quiz and see how we do. Number one, obey authority and not ask questions. Definitely not. Get married and have children. Not yet. 
Earn a lot of money to be successful? Nope. Own a lot of stuff to be happy? Sort of. Be religious to be a good person? Okay, I am religious. But as we all know from the news, being religious and being good are often two different things. So how did you score on that list? Unfortunately, that list is only a beginning. There are many more expectations, being heterosexual and participating in the binary gender norms and roles, living in the right neighborhood and driving a sports car, where we vacation, the soap we use, the coffee maker in the kitchen. My response to all of this says who? Madison Avenue because the world economy depends on reducing us to consuming units who have internalized corporate expectations. Our culture of white supremacy, which judges people based on skin color, gender, sexual orientation, physical ability, and persuades us to judge people too. Fairy tales and 1960 sitcoms on television and Better Homes and Gardens magazines, all of which peddle the lies of happily ever after, one soulmate and true love, the house with the white picket fence, a lifelong successful career at one job followed by a golden retirement party before beginning those years of traveling and hobbies. Let's not forget our own internalized expectations about life. As I began seminary, one of my internalized expectations was what people expected me of me as a minister. I'm supposed to always know the right thing to do and say. I'm always kind and compassionate. I'm able to lead a rally or prayer on the spot. Fortunately, a career counselor and some wise ministerial mentors taught me that the compassion and wisdom that come from my life's struggles and losses are what I need to bring to the ministry, not perfection. What are some of your unrealistic expectations about yourself or your life? The trouble with these expectations is that they often lead to disappointment, resentment, hurt, and anger at ourselves. They take precious energy and focus that can be better used. They prevent us from living more fully in the moment and being open to the unexpected gifts, experiences, opportunities that life can offer. I wonder how many opportunities we've all missed for joy and fulfillment because of being too caught up in those unrealistic expectations. While expectations can be oppressive, there are also things we should expect of ourselves. The first is authenticity, being who we really are instead of who society tells us we should be. Oscar Wilde once quipped, you might as well be yourself, everyone else is taken. Educator Parker Palmer in his book on vocation, Let Your Life Speak, says that we spend the first half of our lives Abandoning the gifts we are born with, what Quakers refer to as the inner light and humanists call integrity and identity. And the second half of life, if we are awake and aware, trying to recover those gifts. Those gifts include knowing what we believe about life, where we draw strength for life's challenges and losses, being able to live up to one's values, especially when there's pressure to do otherwise, Measuring ourselves only by the beating of our hearts and our spirits. Trusting that we each have a place in the world and that our unique gifts are needed. Letting go of expectations and embracing every moment as a gift from life. 
The second thing to expect of ourselves is spiritual maturity. That is not to say we need to be the Buddha or Martin Luther King Jr. or Jesus. They are examples for us to aspire to, and as our Unitarian Universalist second source of spiritual wisdom teaches us, these exemplars challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love. They inspire us to be people who practice kindness, compassion, generosity, wisdom, creativity, and reverence. These are the hallmarks of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is also knowing from our first UU principle that we each have inherent worth and dignity as a child of God, as a child of life itself. We're all carrying a spark of the divine within us. To live our faith fully is to expect and work for nothing less than every person, including ourselves, to be treated with respect, kindness, equality, and justice, and invited to share in the abundance, beauty, and joy of life free from oppression and anything that keeps us from living fully. Our second reading, The Agreement, a Native American folktale. Long before there were people in the valley, there were bear people. They had an agreement with the salmon. The salmon would come upriver every fall, and the bears would acknowledge this and take what they needed. This is the way it was with everything. Everyone lived by agreements and courtesies, but the salmon people and the bear people had made no agreement with the river. No one thought it was even necessary. Well, it was. One fall, the river pulled itself back into the shore trees and wouldn't let the salmon enter from the ocean. Whenever they would try, the river would pull back and leave the salmon stranded on the beach. There was a long argument. Finally, the river let the salmon enter. But when the salmon got to where the bears lived, the river began to run in two directions at once, north on one side, south on the other, roaring, heaving white water and rolling big boulders up on the banks. Then the river was suddenly still. The salmon were afraid to move. The bears were standing behind the trees. The river said in the middle of all this silence that there had been no agreement, or there had to be an agreement. No one could just do whatever they wanted. So for several days, they spoke about it. The salmon said who they were and where they came from, and the bears spoke about what they did, what powers they had been given, and the river spoke about its agreement with the rain and the wind and so on. Everybody said what they needed and what they would give away. Then a very odd thing happened. The river said it loved the salmon. No one had ever said anything like that before. It was an honesty that pleased everyone. It made for a very deep agreement among them. Well, they were able to reach an understanding about their obligations to each other and everyone went their way. This remains unchanged. When you feel the river shuddering against your legs, You are feeling the presence of all these agreements. Last week I talked about radical hospitality, 
the creation of a free space where connections with others are made and strangers become friends. Hospitality becomes radical, I said, which means out of the ordinary, when we not only meet another's needs, but we enter into deeper relationship with them. Do you come to church with the expectation that you will be loved and accepted just as you are and that there is a place here for you? Do you come knowing that you can be free of the alienation, isolation, and pressure to meet the world's expectations for you? Do you believe you'll be able here to share your struggles, your failures, your flaws with others who will listen without judgment? Do you trust that you will enter into a deeper relationship with others and with yourself and with the divine? These are some of the gifts of beloved community, and we should expect them of this place. They are the outcome of practicing our third principle, which calls us to accept one another and encourage each other's spiritual growth. But as I said last week, our churches don't always get it right. We may say that we accept and welcome everyone, but Unitarian Universalism is not exempt from the pressure of success. As Luke Stevens Royer said in the first reading, one might easily feel a message in liberal churches that to really fit in, you need to be successful, you need to be smart, educated, extra just, and uber-conscious of the world and its injustices. You need to be intellectual, but down to earth, you need to dismiss superstition and have a strong spiritual practice. And if you don't, if you can't keep up, you are not up to snuff. There are unspoken expectations and stereotypes about being UU. Driving a Prius, shopping at the local food co-op, having five or six advanced degrees, not using plastic straws, listening to NPR. And if you don't, you don't fit in. Even though, as Luke says, we strive to lift up the gate and fling wide the doors and welcome no imperfection bars us from beloved community. To acknowledge our struggle to be a community of radical hospitality and to remind us of our aspirations to welcome each other just as we are, each week we renew our covenant, our promises to one another and how we will be together. We say that we affirm the brilliance of every life and promise to well together in right relationship, extend hospitality, nurture community for all ages, encourage spiritual growth, honor diversity, and practice kindness. This covenant is a statement of our expectations for one another and for ourselves as a part of this community. One of the key phrases in our congregational covenant is right relationship. At first glance, that sounds easy enough. All we have to do is respect one another's inherent worth and dignity, expect each other to engage in the ongoing search for truth and meaning, hold one another accountable for how we live out our faith and our values, join in the shared work of serving one another in the world, and encourage each other to be our truest selves. Not difficult, right? But what happens? What happens when conflict erupts, as it will when different needs and ideas and expectations meet in this shared space? What if someone disappoints us or hurts us? What do we do when someone whose wounds from another religion aren't healed and they badmouth that religion or criticize someone who finds hope and meaning from that tradition? What about when the needs of some of us have not been shared or met, like the river in the second reading? 
Our congregational covenant does not give us any guidelines or specific behaviors to work through these things. So this year, the board has charged our Committee on Shared Ministry to work with you to create a set of guidelines and expectations. Recognizing, as the Bear people and the Salmon people did in the second reading, that every voice needs to be heard, we will gather to say what we need and what we will give to each other. Out of this work, we will craft a deep agreement, a shared understanding of how to listen to one another, how to make space for diverse viewpoints, how to call one another back in when mistakes are made, how to invite one another to be more vulnerable and authentic. This work of the heart and spirit is complicated. There may be concerns that creating a behavioral covenant could set standards and expectations for members' behavior that are restricted. Many of us found Unitarian Universalism after leaving a religion that suppressed or damaged our spirits. We sought a safe place where we can think for ourselves and discover what our hearts call us to believe. This is and will be a safe place for freedom of thought and belief. But we do not and will not allow absolute freedom of behavior without regard for the safety and well-being of others. A covenant of right relations will help us continue to make sacred space for diverse beliefs and ideas and encourage justice, equity, compassion, and kindness in our relationships with one another. In this time when our country is so divided and people refuse to even listen to one another, let us be a community where our agreement is deep, where we are guided and shaped by an inclusive love that makes space for everyone. And our greatest expectation is that we will find joy in being together for our journey on this precious planet. May it be so, and together in covenant, we can make it so. I invite us into a few moments to reflect. These are the words of Gretchen Haley. Freedom is found in the choice to be bound up in love and hope, promise and fidelity in an ancient duty, and inheritance made new with each breath. Freedom that makes no guarantees about life or where we are all going, or the state of your heart through it all, but proclaims without pause, everything is possible. And now renewed in our understanding of how we are called to be a community of love and hope, joy and possibility, bound in covenant and filled with expectations who we can be together, let us go forth in peace and joy to inspire love, seek justice, and grow in community. May it be so. Blessed be. Amen.